Welcome to Medicus, a student-run podcast about any and all things in the world of medicine. Follow along as we interview outstanding individuals about important topics in healthcare. Hey guys, it's Alec, and we are really excited to continue with our fourth year specialty series, with this episode focusing in on the specialty of internal medicine. Dippin and Druv are two awesome fourth years that I had the chance to sit down with in the fall semester. So right now it's April, post-match. So even though they didn't know it at the time, Dippin is going to the University of Louisville in Kentucky, and Druv matched at Lakeland Health in Michigan. For any of you who are new to Medicus, the interview structure with our fourth-year students is the same. We start by first getting to know our guests, then we talk about the field, matching into the field, and end with a general advice section. So I hope you guys enjoy it, and without further ado, here's the episode. Sure. So um, my name is Dippin. I'm a fourth year. Um, I think for me, medicine uh, pretty much started when I was a kid. Uh, I have a family of doctors, um, mainly my uncles, and uh, just kind of looking up to them when I was a kid um, was uh, became the initial driving factor of going into medicine. But as a kid, obviously, you don't really know like the surrounding factors of medicine. Um, and I, I think in college, uh, so I went to Emory, um, and uh, that was probably the first time I really understood um, the value of medicine. Um, so I joined an organization uh, that was then known as South Asian Health Initiative. And um, and in, if you go to Emory, it's sort of a bubble because um, you have this really wealthy area, but the moment you step out of that bubble, you see um, very underserved communities. And so by joining this organization, I suddenly found myself working with physicians and nurses um, who volunteer their time to provide primary care for underserved communities. And um, I don't know if I kind of led a shelter life up to that point, but this definitely exposed me to a new arena of people um, that I wouldn't have been exposed to if if I didn't join that organization. And so um, seeing these vulnerable populations kind of drove me even more towards medicine and um, started making me think beyond just what we um, what we technically learn in medical school, which is the hard sciences. Um, really understanding how medicine is integrated with other parts of society and 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 social issues, um, and so that became um, pretty much the stepping stone uh, in developing my career into uh, providing medical care for underserved communities. Um, and so, uh, I did take a, a couple gap years. So after I graduated, um, I took a year off to, you know, study for MCAT, do, um, a little bit more research, uh, a little bit different from what I did in undergrad. In undergrad, I did, uh, research primarily in neurodegenerative diseases. And then afterwards, after, once I graduated, I did a little bit of research in pediatric oncology. So something just a little different. Um, and it was translational research versus basic science, which is what I did before. Um, and then from there, I decided to move to ch- Chicago uh, and did the medical science program uh, that's part of Loyola. I did that for a year. Um, and that, that was basically me getting a network within Chicago and kind of developing myself as a student a little bit more. 
Um, I took another gap year after that, uh, where I became a clinical research coordinator at the University of Chicago. Um, and then I uh, was lucky enough to get accepted into medical school. And so that's kind of where um, that, that's that been going on. Awesome. Awesome. So, yeah, Drev? So, um, <clears throat> my name is Drev. Um, and my uh, journey to medical school is a little bit uh, unusual. So I actually started college. I went to uh, University of uh, Illinois Urbana-Champaign, and I started as a business major. I was actually an accounting and finance major for my freshman year. And my, both my parents were in business, and they both, uh, they both had MBAs, so I had always kind of known the business field to some degree. And my uh, dad had a finance background, so when I was in college, you know, I just followed kind of what he did. And I actually interned at an accounting firm um, after the f summer of my freshman year, and I hated it. It was <laughs> probably the most tedious job in the world, I mean, in my opinion. I would, um, every day I would like look at, you know, um, spreadsheets of cor like Fortune 500 companies and just pretty much add numbers together and uh, stick to like some accounting principles. And that was my intern project. And, you know, I remember uh, specifically when I decided to go to medicine because I was looking at my window in downtown Chicago and I was like, you know, I can't do this anymore. I just felt like it wasn't, you know, the best use of my time and I just didn't have a passion for it. So after I got back to campus that fall, I actually, you know, went to my advisor and completely switched. And um, I think for me, you know, where my heart is in medicine is because kind of the same things that um, Dippin had said is, you know, I really, like, enjoy working with underserved populations. I think my experiences in life, um, you know, from being a business major to switching over and kind of what I did in college, um, you know, working with uh, volunteering and working with um, um, underserved populations kind of taught me the importance of, you know, society and medicine and how, you know, medicine's only one part of someone's health. You know, their, their psychology, their spirituality, their income, their job, um, all those things all combine together. And I think for me, you know, that's when the light bulb really clicked. So when I was in college, you know, I ended up taking the MCAT, switching to pre-med. I switched my major to biology and um, I, I, you know, did all my pre-med requ requisites. And I, um, I applied to med school, I applied, I graduated college, and I actually worked in a um, research lab in California for a year. So I was living in San Francisco um, during my gap year, just doing some um, basic science research. And um, that's when I got accepted to medical school. And I moved back to Chicago, which is where my family's from. So I kind of wanted to come back. And you know, ever since then, I've um, kind of continued going along the same um, lines of what I've been thinking of, uh, you know, underserved medicine. And I think that's where, you know, what my passion is now. Awesome, awesome. So, you know, you kind of both talked about this, like, transition from, you know, undergrad maybe to, like, the gap years and stuff. So I was wondering, um, what, what can you guys, like, say about the transition you had to go through, um, you know, from, from being a, an undergraduate student to coming to medical school? Like, how was that like for both of you? So for me, it was uh, very interesting. So I actually graduated college uh, one year early. So I was, you know, only 21 when I graduated. And then I started medical school at 22. And I definitely think that there was definitely um, a maturity gap between me and some of the other medical students. Um, considering, you know, I 22 is a pretty young age. And I just felt like I didn't have the emotional maturity to some degree to, you know, comprehend of the workload and the emotional stresses that come with matriculating into medical school. And, um, you know, I'm coming from someone when, when I went to undergrad, I didn't really study that much when I was an undergrad. And I kind of just had to get by with just my own intellect, which is 
not a good trait to have <laughs> in medical school because medical school is all about uh, hard work and dedication. And it took me, you know, kind of a year to really figure that out. So I think for me, the transition was a little difficult because mm -hmm. I, uh, I never had, I never built those traits before I mm -hmm. entered. Um, so my matriculation was definitely more rough than I guess other people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I, I guess I would echo the same things. There is a certain maturity that comes with um, taking some time off. Um, I think for me, I took time off uh, mainly because um, I just wanted to see what else was out there. Um, I had actually applied to a public health school at the same time as applying to the medical sciences program. So I was in a, a decision where I would either go the public health route or I could try to pursue medicine. Um, and I think with medicine and, um, and applying to medical school, they don't really tell you um, the reality of medical school as well as they probably should. Um, How so? It's just very stressful, and depending on the way your school is structured, um, you may not get the actual, actual exposure to medicine until your third and fourth year. I mm -hmm. agree. And I think a lot of schools are trying to um, bring that earlier, and they have. Uh, you have, like, these patient-centered medicine courses that try to get you to interact with patients, and you have these shadowing programs and things like that. But that that's really not... in. in it doesn't really compare to what you experience third and fourth year because there's definitely, mm -hmm. you'll, you'll talk with attendings and they'll say the main transition years are between second and third year and then when you go from fourth year to intern year and then your last year of residency to attending. Mm -hmm. And those are transition points because the workload, the maturity, the dedication, the, the stresses, they start to accumulate at those points. And they're, they're pivotal points in your career because that's when you start to um, have to think differently and you have to be a little bit more independent in your learning. Um, and they don't really tell you that when you're applying to medical school. And when you're applying to medical school, they're telling you um, you need to be holistic in your application and you need to have this GPA, this MCAT score. Um, but they don't really tell you like what that career actually entails. And so, I, I was lucky enough to have people around me who had already gotten into medical school and they could tell me their perspectives. Um, I had uncles who were physicians and they can somewhat relate to, or at least tell me like what they're doing on a daily basis, but um, there's also like the generation gap, right? Like the way physicians were before are kind of different from how people practice now. Um, so there's that. So I think so I guess back to the question. So those gap years were more formative for me to just see what else was out there and um, allowed me to also get some personal growth because um, I, I'm the type of person that while I love medicine, there are other parts of life that I love. I love reading. I love interacting with people that are um, not necessarily within my normal friend not, circle. Not tied to medicine. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And so... Um, so that was very important for me to kind of develop that skill and put myself out in different, um, just basically step out of my comfort zone. And so taking that time off allowed me to do that. It allowed me to move to a completely different city and uh, immerse myself in something completely uh, new and exciting. Um, I got to build my own network in Chicago. I got to interact with physicians that, um, you know, they get to travel the world and do what they love to do. I got mm -hmm. to interact with uh, physicians who worked with um, Paul Farmer um, at the University of Chicago. And, sure. and having those experiences, um, if I had gone straight into medical school, I would have, one, been burnt out. 
and I would have denied myself the experience um, of meeting those types of people. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so I think like kind of like the theme of that is there's multiple ways to get there, yes. right? And and I, and I think the other thing to add is everybody's different, right? Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. just because I had to take three years before matriculating doesn't necessarily mean like that's the answer. There are plenty of people who come straight out of undergrad and are successful and love what they do. Mm -hmm. Um, I think the main thing is realizing when other people tell you that maybe you're not ready or realizing yourself, which is even harder, Mm -hmm. um, is knowing when you are ready to matriculate and knowing when to take those steps. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's difficult because you don't know I mean, it's just different situations for different people, so. I mean, for me, like, the, you know, what you kind of just said right now, it, when I turned 25, that's when I realized that, and that was just this year, so, you know, the the whole (laughs) maturity thing, and it took me that long, and I'm in medical school now, so it definitely, for me, I didn't know, Um, I mean, not saying that I regret the decision or anything, but it took, I mean, you kind of get it at some point. And uh, for me, it was just like recently. So, Mm -hmm. and that's probably why there's such a age difference in your, in your class, right? Like, oh yeah. 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 So um, I think, I I don't know. I think our average age is like 25. It's like around around 24, 25. But if you look at the outliers, right? Like the oldest was like in the forties. The youngest is like 20. We had somebody who turned 21 in our one class. So, oh really? Yeah. So, you know, Oh, very cool. Oh, cool. So I, this is this is like a perfect opportunity to kind of talk about internal medicine itself and, and what drew both of you uh, to this field. And uh, the reason why I'm like really excited to talk about internal medicine is because I feel like internal medicine is a um, like a branching point mm-hmm. for a lot of people. Oh, yes. um, and, you know, I always joke with myself, like, you know, you come in not knowing anything. So I guess I'll just do internal medicine, <laughs> you know. So. Um, so, yeah, just kind of, you know, take us through your decision to go into um, IM and, you know, what drew you to pursue this one out of all of the other you know specialties that are out there. So for me, um, when I did third year, um, to some degree, you know, I really enjoyed all of my clerkships. There was something that I liked about every single one of them, or maybe it wasn't surgery, but it was all the other ones, where I really enjoyed, um, you know, uh, for example, like on psychiatry, I really enjoyed um, counseling patients on mental health. On OB, I really liked doing some women's health stuff. Um, And I think on family, I really enjoyed the ambulatory experience of seeing patients in a clinic. And for me, the reason I'm doing IM is, or internal medicine, is because my end career goal is to do social justice work in medicine. And I'm kind of biased because all my, I guess not mentors, but idols in medicine have been internists. And the work that they've done, like people like, you know, Paul Farmer, people like David Ansel, Quentin Young, um, these are all uh, primary care internists. And they've all done, you know, public health work, uh, public policy work, political work even. And I think for me, that's kind of what I want to aim my career towards. And, you know, not just for selfish reasons, but I also enjoy internal medicine because of the breadth of knowledge that um, the training provides. You know, you hit every single body system. You hit, you know, the heart, lungs, kidneys. Um, you And the way you're trained is you're trained in an inpatient hospital setting. So you get, you know, you get the most acuity of patients. Um, and I think, you know, when you're in medical school, I think, you know, people always say, oh, is it medicine or surgery when you had the first branching off point? Mm -hmm. But actually, I I would argue that it's probably the bigger branching off point is whether you like doing procedures or whether you, you know, like just talking. Um, And I think for me, I really, you know, for a time when I did surgery, I, I really did enjoy surgery for the first week because there's a certain glamour and there's a certain 
glitz to the OR. You know, you see everyone in scrubs. Everyone's like, you know, they look really cool when they're operating. Sure, sure. And yeah. like, you know, like the thought of being a surgeon is kind of glamorous to some degree. You know, it's it's portrayed in the media as very glamorous. And uh, if you don't know the lifestyle, it looks really glamorous. Right. There's <laughs> how many shows are there now? Yeah. Like three at least. Yeah. yeah. You know, like Grey's so, Anatomy yeah, ruined it for everyone. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know, so when I did surgery, I did it in uh, like September, so a year ago. Um, I was really enthralled by it. But then I think, I, for me, I realized that, um, you know, the lifestyle for surgeons is much more different than the lifestyles for internists. You know, the residency is more uh, grueling. The average number of hours um, attending surgeons' work is a lot less. I mean, a lot more, excuse me. And I think the quality of life for uh, a surgical uh, attending is much different than an internist attending. And, uh, you know, and everyone has to make that compromise to some degree. Um, for me, like Dippin, I kind of enjoy my life outside of medicine. I like, you know, spending time with my family, my uh, girlfriend, you know, hanging out with my friends, you know, exploring the city of Chicago. And I think for me, um, being an internist and working those kind of hours while also pursuing my social justice passions kind of, you know, fit perfectly for me. So, you know, f every specialty uh, has its pros and cons. And there's no one specialty that's better or worse than any other ones. But it's all, you know, at the end of the day, it all depends on what your passion is. And I would argue, or I would say to people that when they're picking a specialty, don't pick it because you think it's like glamorous or you think it's like, you know, prestigious or the money is good or the money is, or the hours are good. I would pick a specialty because you have some inner passion for it and you cannot live your life without fulfilling that passion. Um, you know, unfortunately people don't think that way. And I, and that, you know, but um, I just think if you find that passion, regardless of where you are, where you live, how much money you make, you're gonna be happy with your life because you're doing what you wanted to do. And um, I, that, I mean, that's what that would be my advice for picking any specialty to some degree. Cool. Yeah, so <laughs> I, I agree with some of that. Um, I, I've always been a believer in doing what you love and pursuing whatever you enjoy. Um, I think for me, um, it was the first time I had to make a decision from a more practical perspective. Um, so... I initially was not planning on just doing medicine. I was actually gonna be doing med peds and I was debating between that or just picking peds or medicine. Um, and uh, ultimately I decided medicine on more of a practical basis. And I guess this is b mainly because, you know, peds and medicine, there's a little bit of overlap in terms of like thinking and, and um, the way to approach things, uh, even though you're com dealing with completely different populations. Um, and so I made, I made the decision based on, uh, more of a practical reasoning, um, because if you look at, um, the, um, the time for training, um, uh, MedPeds is going to be longer. You have that extra year. Um, that's four years or four years, right? Four yeah, years. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then if you were to do a fellowship on top of that and think of MedPeds, like you're getting double boarded on pediatrics and medicine, there's mm -hmm. no combined test. Mm -hmm. And then if you're to do a fellowship on top of that, then you're getting double boarded, not only for peds and medicine, but also in that particular specialty. So it's a lot of boards tests to be taking. <laughs> um, Gotta like to study. <laughs> yeah, so you really have to love to study and take tests um, on top of learning such a wide breadth of knowledge. Um, so that was one thing to consider. Um, 
pediatrics, they have this new thing. If you want to be a hospitalist, then you have to go through a fellowship program. So that extends your training for a mm -hmm. little bit longer. Mm -hmm. um, whereas for medicine, you don't have to do that. And I think, um, I think I'm at a point where I... I already know like anything that I do, I'm gonna love. I'm just that type of person that just kind of picks up on everything. Um, and if I don't know something, I'll go and read it and I'll try to learn and I'm very self-directed that way. Um, so I knew like whether I picked peds or medicine, um, I was gonna love it. And so it came down to a more of a practical decision where medicine, I just have to do three years. If I wanna be a hospitalist, I can go do that. If I wanna specialize, I can do that. Um, if I just wanted to finish residency and start going Doctors Without Borders, I can do that, you know. Perfect. Um, so, yeah, so I, I took a more practical approach than I would normally take. Um, and, again, I, I echo the sentiment that Dhruv says, like, you know, definitely, like, when you're going through third year, you want to open yourself up to experiences and love what you do and don't do it for the sake of money. But there there is a certain point where you kind of have to consider the opportunity cost of extended training Mm -hmm. You know, you have student loans. You have to think about that now and right, how are you right. going to pay that off. So. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Are there things that you dislike about internal medicine at all? Like kind of... Dislike internal medicine or the rotation? Dislike, I guess both. So dislike, yeah. what do you dislike about it? Um, or what are like the negatives uh, to it potentially? Um, and then, yeah, how, how the rotation went for you and, and what, I guess, like uh, what challenge do you then? So um, for internal medicine... For internal medicine, um, some of the drawbacks that uh, a lot of people talk about is the amount of rounding that you have to do, because the lists of your patients are, you know, like 20, 25 people, and when you round on them, it take it can take like up to four or five hours, where you're just standing and walking around the hospital. Yeah, that, that depends though, right? Yeah, it depends on the attending, yeah. but it can be <laughs> up to four to five hours. Yeah. Um, is that mornings or night? It's at morning. Okay. Morning. So it would okay. be like yeah, 8 yeah, to yeah. like noon okay. or something. Okay. Yeah. So, um, and you know, some people don't like that. Uh, they don't enjoy the, um, you know, because you're, you're walking, like I, I would walk like 15,000 steps in a day just from rounding. Jeez. And um, you're standing Gosh. up the whole time. But, um, you know, for me, I, I don't think that's a drawback. I think it's a learning opportunity when you round and um, you get to meet these patients. So for me, when I did my rotation, so at Loyola, we do two months of internal medicine and you do two one-month blocks. Um, so I did one month at Loyola, like our hospital, and then I did one month at uh, West Suburban, which is a hospital, it's a community hospital, about like 10 to 15 minutes away from here. So I kind of saw like an academic medical center and a community medical center. Um, to be frank, I enjoyed both those rotations tremendously. Um, first of all, when I did West Suburban, it was a more underserved community, and I really enjoyed working with that population because it just, you know, gave me a different perspective on healthcare. Um, you know, all the, a lot of the patients there were uh, African-American. A lot of them were drug addicts, um, alcoholics. And it kind of gave me, you know, the, a, a good social cue of, like, what they were going through. And it kind of opened my eyes to another, you know, side of life that I frankly knew, but I never had direct con patient contact with. So I really enjoyed that. And I really enjoyed the uh, attendings there. They were very helpful. Very, um, They taught very well. And I think for me... I think the, re the really good thing was I had a really good team of residents and other medical students, and we had a really great com camaraderie. You know, we hung out, we got beer on Fridays, we did stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And it was, you know, I mean, if you have a good group of people around mm -hmm. you, regardless of what where you are, you're going to have a good, great time. Right. And that's actually something I wanted to ask, too. Do you think, like, the 
just the idea of mentorship and like the, the team aspect of, you know, who you rotate with, if you really resonate with that group or that, that resident isn't like an all-star, mm-hmm. you know, does, do you think that like persuades people into going into that field? Absolutely. And we, we'll, we can touch on that. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. It could go both ways. It yeah. could go negatively and positively. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, I'll we'll go back to your initial question. So, mm-hmm. um, I, I agree with you. like internal medicine. You're, you're given this environment to think about problems. Um, and uh, while some people hate rounding, I'm also one of those people that likes it because if you get the right attending and the right residents, um, it can be the most interesting discussion um, related to like pathophysiology and, and how to think about lab values. And um, it can be like the pimping session where, you know, attendings and residents just like constantly question you on like, oh, what do you want to do? What about this? What about this situation? Um, but it, it's, it's the best way to challenge yourself and make sure that you're on top of your game and, and knowing what you need to know. Mm-hmm. Um, and the best thing about internal medicine is that it is applicable to every other specialty. Um, if you go to an OB-GYN service or surgery service, um, or any other service, even psych, you know, you have to apply basic internal medicine strategies for your patients, especially if they're being, you know, if they're hospitalized or whatever. Mm-hmm. And you have to think about internal medicine problems um, when you're when you're facing um, those other issues, you know. Um, so I, I love the applicability of it across different fields. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess something that I, I disliked um, and this is more so from the rotation from the field, um, is again this idea that you don't really know what the workflow is like until you do it. Mm -hmm. Um, As a student, your responsibility is different than if you're a resident, right? So if you're a student, your responsibility is to learn, to read, and um, to interpret values, um, to come up with your differential and plan. and you can be wrong. And that's the best part, right? Like, because, I mean, you're not expected to mm-hmm. know as much because mm-hmm. you're still a student, you're mm-hmm. learning. Um, as a resident, you are a doctor, right? You are the ones who are giving admit orders. You are determining basically the workflow of the day um, and making sure consults are in, um, the patient's on the right meds, um, their electrolytes are being repleted. You have this these other responsibilities that the student doesn't necessarily have because they're still in the learning stage. And so the drawback of the rotation is that even um, as a sub-I, you may not have that same exposure that you would as a resident. And mm-hmm. so, and that's tough, right? Like your job as a student is to learn. I'm not, exp- I'm not saying like the student should be the resident, um, but the drawback is you don't really get that sense of exposure as a student than you would as a resident. So. Mm-hmm. Um, that would be, so that's one thing. Um, Otherwise, like, I I enjoyed my internal medicine rotation, and I hope I enjoyed it as a resident, um, just because of that thinking process and inclusivity that it has. Cool. And it definitely, and to go back to your second question, Mm -hmm. so the the team environment, like, that's that's something that applies to any rotation, right? Like, you can have a bad OB team and be completely turned off from OB, even if you were like deciding that from the get-go that you wanted to do OB. 
Um, I think do you have classmates that like uh, that you knew were yes, like, okay, yeah. I'm gun ho about doing yes. like EM or OB, and yeah, they get on it and they're like, plenty oh my gosh. People, plenty of people who tried to do ortho and ENT, and all of a sudden they're like, oh, I'm doing family because you know the work environment is super chill. Um, I think there there is a very commonly cited example among the attendings about this one kid who, uh, or at least in my PCM groups, that's they commonly cite this. Um, there's one kid who was like gung ho about Pete, and then had the worst experience with the residents and the attendings and just decided I'm never, and this kid wanted to do peds like before medical school. And suddenly this one experience kind of turned him off completely and ended up doing something different. So um, again, that comes with a little bit of maturity and being like open to different experiences and realizing, you know, it's not always gonna be, you know, the, the best working team, but you have to figure w your way to navigate around that and find something that does open you up to that experience. So, cool. Is there any um, any stereotypes like in the in the field of like I am like okay, you're an I am doc. That means you do blank or no. you know what are those? So, I mean, <laughs> this is so every specialty has its stereotype to some degree. I mean, these are mostly tongue in cheek. Mm -hmm. So you know, I'll just go through all of them before I go to I am. So okay. um, <laughs> so surgeons, you know, they're. I mean, stereotyped as arrogant, confident, you know, jocular, um, you know. And then pediatricians are stereotyped as, like, very nice and cuddly and very easygoing. Family medicine docs, kind of the same thing. Um, and then OBs are kind of stereotyped as a little bit more arrogant, forward, you know, very quick to judge. Um, and then internal medicine doctors, I mean, you know, just jokingly, they're kind of more nerdy, you know, kind of more cerebral in their thinking. Dippin might disagree with me. Yeah, but it's mostly the stereotype. You know, and the thing is, like, that's completely untrue because, you know, you have surgeons that are very, very smart. And, you know, you have so and you have internal medicine doctors that are also just more casual and more laid back. So it goes it goes both ways. But it's mostly just, you know, it's just for hu medical humor, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, I remember in my first year, um, uh, one of my clinical skills sessions, there was an attending um, who never met me before, uh, the first thing he told me was, I'm going into internal medicine because you're on the more introverted side, you're very cerebral, um, and you look like the person who likes to think. And um, Wait, wait, so your, your advisor said this? This is not an advisor. Oh. This is a random physician <laughs> who was teaching a clinical skills exam oh, okay. um, who had never <laughs> met me before. Um, and lo and behold, he was probably spot on. <laughs> uh, but it's interesting because... Um, so, I mean, yeah, definitely, like, it's just a stereotype. It doesn't really um, mean anything. But um, I, I guess the point is that other physicians know a little bit about you, even if, because that's, like, part of their job, right, is to read people. Mm -hmm. um, sure. So I guess, like, being able to hear those types of uh, comments. Mm -hmm. Does um, Do you think any of these, like, stereotypes, like, deter or um, attract people uh, to to IM specifically or, like, a certain specialty? Yeah. So I know for sure, like, if you take took a poll of our class before medical school, how many people wanted to do surgery? You know, and I think they were attracted to it for some of the reasons we had mentioned. You know, it's, like, it's a very fast-moving specialty. People are very confident. People get things done in surgery. Um, and then I guess, you know, people self-select to some degree. People who have those personality traits, um, you know, want to be pe like people or want to be around people like them. But then after they did surgery, then they s realized that they didn't like it anymore. Um, and I think for IM, like for me, I didn't really know I wanted to do IM at the beginning of med school. Um, I was pretty open. So I think for IM, like 
I don't know if there's in medical school at least there's a much of a stereotype about the nerdy thing. I do know that a lot of people do choose IM for the practicality reasons that Dipin had mentioned, and also if they want to do fellowships like cardiology, GI, pulmonology, you know, it's a stepping stone to get there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Do you think that um, a lot of people think of like an IM residency as a stepping stone? Do they have that in their mind? Like, okay, I'm gonna, you know. I'm, I'm going to be the cardiologist, so I'm just going to, you know, not blow off this residency, but they truly don't like IM, but they like cardiology. So would you recommend, you know, is that true? And like, would you recommend, you know, to people to either think like that or not think like that? Or I would not recommend that. Um, I, I think there, you know, you'd have a mix of people who either know what they want to do post residency or they're still trying to figure it out. And I'm, I'm one of those people that are trying to still figure it out. Um, but the purpose of residency is to get you the basic training you need um, so that if any situation arises, um, you're prepared for it um, in a general medicine setting. Um, and it's to give you exposure to as many different problems and chief complaints as possible. So despite what you end up going into, you still have to think about these other things that are going on. Just because you want to go into cardiology does not mean you don't need to know a GI problem, like a GI bleed. Like that's part of the pathophysiology of cardiology. Mm-hmm. So um, so if you wanted to go into cardiology, but you hate like the kidneys or you hate, you know, GI or something like that, do you think I am? Uh, yeah. Do you think GI or do you think uh, I am would be for you then if you're just dead set on, you yes. know, that one, you can still do it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I kind of disagree with Dippin to some degree. Because the thing is, like, we need cardiologists. We need GI doctors. And, like, a lot of people that I – like, I'm in the CCU right now, so I work with pretty much all cardiologists. And, yeah, they don't like IM. They don't like the bread and butter internal medicine stuff. But they're doing it because they know they have to get there. Right. For yeah, that, that's my point. It's okay. like okay. Not, not that you have to do IM and be general medicine only. Yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. right. No, right. I'm right. saying you just have to be able to think about those other yeah, problems. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely, definitely. Because that's yeah. going to apply to your patient regardless of whether you like it or not. Yeah. You just have to know – you have to yeah. know your knowledge foundation, right? Yeah. So. Mm-hmm. And the other thing is, That's I think, um, you know, all the internal medicine subspecialties, there's a huge amount of pathophysiology in all of them. Like, I didn't realize for cardiology how much, um, you know, like medication management kind of goes into a day of a life of cardiologist inpatient. Mm-hmm. And so I think, I mean, it's kind of good that you get that internal medicine training is because you need that as a foundation for, you know, everything else in your career when you do do that fellowship. Yeah. And the other thing to think about is, like, nobody's expecting you to know everything because that's impossible. Um, and that's why you have consults, right? Like, if you do have a renal problem and you're on cardiology, then mm-hmm. obviously renal's there right, to right, talk right. to. So, yeah. Oh, cool, cool. Um, so did you guys, I know, I think, uh, Dip and you touched on, like, kind of the, the divide between internal medicine and med peds for you um, of what you were going to apply to for residency. Um, you know, did... How how did you go about making that that decision, um, and you know, like what what factored into those things uh, to to making a decision of you know I'm going to apply to IM. Um, so again, the practicality of it of spending three. I mean, I guess one extra year isn't doesn't sound like a big deal, um, but to me it it was um, just because I think after four years of medical school, I'm kind of ready to go on to residency, and three years of residency is probably enough for me. Um, so that was just having that extra year. Um, the other thing is the boarding situation, so or the tests. Um, having to 
a double board like that and then without knowing if I whether I want to do a fellowship or not most likely I, I might uh, I still want that to be in, considered in my future and so um, there's I guess there's a misrepresentation of MedPeds in that um, after your residency uh, most people either tend to do one or the other which is not necessarily true um, but uh, there is that potential possibility, right? Like if, if you do want to end up, if you're going through your residency and all of a sudden you're just like, oh, actually I really just want to do adults. And what are you going to do with your PEDS training? Like mm -hmm. you're not. Um, the flip side um, is you do end up doing both and then you want to do something in a specialty that's actually very niche, like mm -hmm. uh, congenital heart, dis heart problems. Mm -hmm. um, and so then you have to think about, okay, well now I'm a specialist in this very particular problem um, I need to make sure I can recruit patients for my practice and I need to be in a setting where I'll actually have patients, right? So there's just other factors to consider with that. I think it's very important that when you consider a specialty, it's important to talk to people in those specialties and not necessarily people at your school. If you have the network outside of your school to talk to um, those people, then do so because um, I was fortunate enough to talk to a person doing a fellowship in pediatrics and she gave me her perspective on peds and the learning that she got through residency and, and training that she got through residency. Um, and she was able to describe to me some of the limitations of applying for jobs and um, what she has to go through for fellowship that she doesn't, she didn't necessarily know um, because of the residency that she was at. Um, so it's important to just talk to other people that are in the specialties that you're considering because they know a lot more and have been through the process um, and can tell you just a lot more about the whole, um, like what to expect, uh, not only through the application process, but post-residency, because that's ultimately what you have to be thinking about is job security and making sure that you, know, you can either land a fellowship or an attending job after, um, so yeah. So for me, um, I did surgery before medicine, and you know I kind of mentioned this like 20 minutes ago that I was very glamorized by surgery. My, my my first week in the OR, I was like, "Wow, this is really cool," and um, I think going into my surgery rotation, I really um, I knew a little bit about endocrine surgery because my mom had a, an endocrine surgeon operate on her, and um, you know I really was kind of interested in it because uh, it was a good surgeon lifestyle. It was kind of cool surgeries. You did pretty much cancer removal surgeries, and it was a very like lifestyle-oriented surgery, surgical field. I think I did still like it before I started my internal medicine rotation, and the, the thing that kind of tipped me towards internal medicine versus um, this very niche field of surgery is because I think... When I thought about my bigger life goals, I kind of tipped more into the balance of internal medicine. Um, as I mentioned before, you know, selfishly, some of my idols are in primary care uh, or general internal medicine. And I'm pretty much just looking at them and seeing what they did and just going to copy pretty much what they did to, see, to get to wherever I want to go, career goal-wise. <laughs> so for me, it was a very, like... Um, so it was more of, like, a mentorship thing for you, whereas, yeah. like, it, it, so if you had... Do you think if you had, like, those kind of... If that group of people that was on your, you know, IM rotation or your, your IM service, if you substituted them and put them in the surgery, do you think that would have given you the more motivation to do surgery or... 
I think it would have given me more motivation, but I think, I mean, you know, it's a, it's a very hard question to ask in retrospect. I think, I mean, I could have gone either way, to be completely honest, but um, I don't know. I think I just, I just felt like, like with my crazy career ambitions that I could accomplish more as a, as a internist. Like, for example, if I want to do social justice work, if I want to do like political work, um, it's I don't want to say it's easier to do it through internal medicine, but you get more exposure because you're working. Like, for example, if you want to work as a public health official, like the Surgeon General or like the mm-hmm. City of Chicago Public Health Commissioner. Is that is that what you're going for? I mean, we, you, guys, <laughs> you guys will find out. Yeah. Find out in five years. Yeah, you guys will find out. But um, if you want to get there, I'm not saying you have to do internal medicine, but if you look at every um, Chicago Public Health Commissioner in the last, like, hundred years, they've been, okay, I don't want to say a hundred, but a lot of them have been internal medicine. Internal medicine's also great because I kind of want to, I'm thinking about doing healthcare administration, you know, like working as like in the C-suite of a hospital or health system. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think having the internal medicine background, because your training is so inpatient based mm-hmm. that you just kind of have a leg up on the competition if you apply via that specialty. So for me, it's kind of, you know, my career goals, it's like kind of pragmatic also. Um, and my passion too. Mm-hmm. So I think for me, that's kind of what end, ed, ended up winning. And um, after I finished my internal medicine rotation in like January, I was like, yes, this is it. Like I didn't look back. Um, th- just yeah. to add on to that. So it's kind of interesting because uh, I'm in the belief that like if you have somewhat of an idea of where you want to go, there's multiple pathways to do that. Um, the thing about Adul Gawande, like he's a surgeon and he's like very accomplished in research, mm-hmm. book writing, sure. things like that. So, oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so um, not not to diminish internists um, and and the trajectory that they can go in in their career, but um, for those of for those people who are considering other specialties, like you can do that too. Just um, oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Sorry, I, I didn't want to make it sound like yeah, you 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 can you can yeah. Um, I think for me it was that you could, and I also had a passion for it. Mm-hmm. It seems like there's a better avenue, maybe, or a better, you know. I mean, I could argue I for know. it, but Dippin can argue <laughs> it. So, no, I'm, yeah. I'm just saying, like, there are different ways right. of getting to the same place. No, that's, that, that, that's um, a good point. And that's then the point. other thing to consider is, you know, lifestyle. Uh, Dove's mentioned that uh, multiple times, but mm-hmm. you, you kind of know yourself and whether there are other things outside of medicine that you enjoy, and you have to realize that you may have to sacrifice some of that based on, specialty that you go into mm-hmm. um, and so that's probably an important consideration if you want to keep that mm-hmm. cool so you know getting to like why you guys chose internal medicine i think this is an awesome time to talk about you know what did you guys do to make yourself competitive you know you realize you know after your im rotation or you know however you however you got to im you know how how did you make yourself competitive moving forward or if you knew beforehand how did you help your application, you know, for, for residencies? So uh, I think one, the, I think the elephant in the room is step one. And I will say that if you're a preclinical, like a first or second year medical student, and you don't really know what you want to do um, for your career, I think one of the best options is doing well on step one because that can only open doors for you. Um, so if you do well on step one, then you have a, a wide gamut of specialties that you can apply to. But besides step one, um, I think for me, uh, the biggest thing is doing well on the rotation, is getting good clinical evaluations. Um, and I think if you do find a specialty that you know you want to do, 
the biggest thing is when you do the rotation is just be enthusiastic. If you're enthusiastic, you don't necessarily have to be the smartest person in the room, but it shows that you have dedication and it shows that you're willing to go the extra mile. Like for me, I there were some rotations where I, you know, I got pimped like all the time and I never got any of the answers right. But I like made an effort to like, you know, see the patient like every, you know, a lot. I, I made an effort to like go the extra mile and do like scut work. I made the effort to like, you know, do like little things that like really show that like I really want to be here. And if you do that, and if you're happy to work every day, you have a smile on your face. You don't complain. You don't, um, you know, if you a have a positive mental attitude in your rotation, it's going to show. It's going to show because other people are going to see that, you know, you're really enthusiastic and you really want to be there. And I think that is, like, the biggest key for doing well on rotations is, um, you know, having a really good enthusiasm. So for me, you know, kind of coming into internal medicine, I knew that if I wanted to do this, I really had to do well. So I really... Um, you know, worked really hard to try to get good evals. And then once I did that, um, and I kind of knew that I wanted to do internal medicine, I, uh, it was just a matter of, you know, connecting with people at Loyola who were internal medicine advisors. Um, you know, Loyola thankfully has a very good list of people who are willing to help you. And I think meeting with them after you've made that decision um, and kind of like, you know, touching base with them and seeing, okay, what are the next steps is probably like the really good idea. And I think... Um, um, if you do that, you're going to be in a good shape for um, the next stage of your career. Cool. Yeah. Um, I would say that uh, for preclinical years, your first and second year, um, is just knowing your foundation of knowledge really well. Um, I guess the different schools kind of play it up differently in terms of their curriculum, but I think the main idea is being able to read that material um, or some portion of it every single day and making sure that you see it. Um, uh, the way our school is structured is we have this six weeks of dedicated and suddenly like everything's supposed to click in those six weeks and you're supposed to do really well on step one, um, which I don't suggest uh, because that's, it becomes a cramming session and multiple studies have shown that um, cramming a huge amount of information like that is one needs to burn out. Um, it doesn't help you retain any sort of material. Um, and, uh, and you'll come into third year thinking that you know a lot, um, even though you don't, and you probably don't know even more than you should um, because of that. So my recommendation for first and second years would be to um, take what you learn and see that every day and just keep practicing it. And especially when you start to get into um, pathology and microbiology and pharmacology that you start to see that every day doing practice questions um, and get it, just getting that early exposure um, as soon as possible. And then I would echo what Ruth said about third year. Again, you know, opening yourself up to different experiences, um, showing that you're enthusiastic uh, because you should be. Like you're doing, um, you're you have all the exposure and uh, experience that you can get without the liability, right? Because you're the student. Um, and so that's, that's your time to start uh, forming new relationships with not only patients, but also physicians and residents. Um, that's your time to actually learn and um, start applying your clinical skills in a completely different way. Um, and yeah, so, you know, opening up to those types of experiences are what what's going to get you through um, third year. And then by the end of third year, you're supposed to 
pretty much know the basics of everything, right? Because that's what step two and step CK and CS, that's what they test you on. So um, after third year, like you should be relatively prepared. And so your fourth year should be spent um, relaxing a little bit because you're gonna be going through a stressful <laughs> residency process, but also like figuring out ways to kind of keep that momentum going and retaining that knowledge. It's, all, it's really all about retention of knowledge. And the more you read, the more um, exposure you get, the better you're gonna actually understand what you're doing um, and the care that you're giving for mm -hmm. that patient. Is there something specifically that you that you feel like you did um, well for uh, you know IM um, that really helped you, or do you think that's the kind of you know the general advice of really you know being enthusiastic, trying, um, being open, continually like you were talking about how you continue. To expose yourself to yeah. you know the literature, the um, the patient problems, you know diagnoses like that kind of thing. Reading up on that, you know, does that does that follow through with attendings, you know, in IM specifically, or I, I think that's applicable to all specialties. I think with IM, um, what was particularly interesting for me was um, the fact that attendings and residents wanted to hear from us a lot more. Um, so they wanted us, if we were to read articles, they wanted us to present that on rounds. Um, if we were the first person to see the patient when they're being admitted, they expected us to come up with a differential and a plan and be ready to know that stuff on the fly. Um, so I guess uh, being in that sort of challenging environment sort of forced me to think a lot about what was going on. And so I think um, if you're able to demonstrate those types of things, that really resonates um, with the people that you work with. And then um, I would also say that, you know, asking a lot of questions, um, being able to not necessarily challenge the attending and residents, but uh, try to figure out where they're coming from. And a lot of the times you'll find that they start to make a plan on their own and they don't, some, they'll, I mean, just because of the workflow of things, they don't really clue you in as to what's going on. And so um, being able to voice your questions um, and asking, you know, why, why did you think this way or why not, why didn't we try to go this route in terms of the management, mm -hmm. um, that's mm -hmm. important to consider. Cool. Um, how did you structure your fourth year? Um, you know, so I don't know if you're planning on doing any like sub eyes or if you've already been on one um, uh, away rotations um, even getting like letters of recommendation, how, how does one go about that um, and kind of put on your internal medicine, you know, uh, hat um, for that? Is there something that, you know, pertains to IM that really um, stands out for you uh, when you structure your fourth year to match into IM? So um, I think we can start with like away rotations. So uh, in January of your third year, there's something called VSAS, which is like this online um, application service opens for people applying for away rotations. I think for internal medicine, since it's not as competitive as, say, like ortho or like ENT, uh, away rotations aren't mandatory. You know, that you don't have to do one to get uh, a residency or get an interview. Um, but if you, I think more importantly, if you're doing IM and you want to go to a specific geographic area, I think doing uh, away rotations is very crucial because it kind of shows that you have interest in going there, you want to make connections there. And if you're from like, say, like, you know, another part of the country, you want to go back there for family or other reasons. So definitely scheduling away rotations for any geographic preference, or if you know that you want to go to like X, Y, and Z residency, then 
probably could be a good idea. So the way I structured my um, fourth year was I knew going into fourth year that I needed at least one or two more letters of recommendation for internal medicine. So I did a, a really short uh, one month like elective internal medicine, which was pretty much just like outpatient stuff. And um, I worked with the same attending that I did on my, um, who had a primary care practice also uh, during my third year rotation. And I just worked with her for a month pretty much. And I just worked with her doing, you know, like, you know, clinic stuff. And I got a rec letter of recommendation from her on, um, in July. And then in July, and then in August, I took step two. And um, I studied for step two for about like five, five to six weeks. And I just I took step two. And then I kind of went on vacation for like the last two to three weeks of September. And then the rest of my uh, fourth year is pretty much I'm doing a sub-I, which is like a sub-internship um, in, uh, in the ICU. And then I'm doing a sub-I in um, uh, another internal medicine rotation in April. And then I've pretty much just picked really, you know, chill electives for the rest of my months here. Um, just because, you know, I, I have, uh, we have to do interviews, so I kind of don't want to do something stressful during interview season. And, uh, yeah, so pretty much for Loyola, or our medical school, we have three required fourth-year um, courses, which is the sub-I in ICU, sub-I in um, your wards, and then one emergency medicine month. So I have, you know, scheduled all those, and then I'm pretty much just doing really easy stuff, everything in between there. Cool. Yeah, so... Um, in terms of, uh, so I didn't really know I wanted to do IM until like this past July. Mm -hmm. That's when I actually like finalized my decision. Mm -hmm. So when I was looking at third year and like trying just doing well, trying to do well in rotations, um, I went in with the mindset like anything's possible. Anytime I had a clinical eval or I heard from an attending that said I was on par with being a resident. Um, and they were very pleased with my work, and I saw that I did well in the clinical eval, that's when I asked for a letter of recommendation. So I got letters anywhere from uh, the research that I did when I went to Africa to my family med um, to pediatrics and then, of course, internal medicine. So um, anytime in, in, internal medicine is kind of unique in that they, they want to have a letter from um, an internist, but it doesn't mm -hmm. necessarily have to come from an internist. So... And you have you have space in your application to do multiple letters like mm -hmm. that. So that's almost like advantageous, no? Because you don't yeah. have to focus all of your attention on. Okay, I need to really like because yeah. you know yeah, for a lot of and it shows that you're willing to learn everything. Like if I'm getting a letter from OB and I'm still going to internal medicine, like that just shows that you're showing interest in other things, and it doesn't necessarily have mm -hmm. to relate to what you're doing. Mm -hmm. And it just shows like yeah, it just like your overall enthusiasm. So. But, I mean, th that's not to say, like, there are definitely applicants who just go straight and turn us route and they're successful. Um, again, like, everybody's different. But that's that's the way I kind of looked out on, on third year. So in terms of letters of recommendation, any time that happened, that's when I, I asked for a letter of rec. Um, in terms of a ways, yes, I agree. You don't necessarily have to do them. Um, I did them because I wanted to see something different. Um, being at Loyola for, I guess, at that point, three years, um, I wanted to see a different hospital system and see if I could navigate my way through that. And if there is a potential for me to um, land in a residency outside Loyola, I want to be sure I have the skills necessary to apply to other uh, patient populations. Do you think you, um, do you, when you do an away rotation in IM, um, does it look 
best if you do it in like a different state or somewhere you've never been before? Or do you think it really just matters that you did something else other than being in the system that you're comfortable yeah, in? Yeah, I, I don't think it matters where you do it necessarily. I mean, there's the, the point that they've brought up, like if you're trying to go for residency out in another state, um, then you probably want to make that like your audition for that particular sure. residency program. Sure. But I think the main idea is that, you know, if you can find yourself doing well in a different environment, regardless of where you're going to end up for residency, um, that's a more important skill to, to develop um, uh, in terms of that. So Yeah, mm -hmm. I think the kind of hitting off what he said. Um, yeah, the whole point is, you know, you want they want to see if you're flexible, if you're adaptable. And yeah. I think those two traits are very important. They want to see that if you don't, if you're at a different hospital, different um, EMR, can you handle it? Could you, you know, do as well as you did at your home institution where you know everyone, you know the system? Yeah. And I think the trait of being adaptable and being thinking on your feet and, you know, being organized are applicable to any resident applicant or any specialty. So I think the, with the away rotations, that's kind of what they're trying to really gauge yeah. from you. And then the other thing, and like, not everything has to be about medicine. Like, you're probably been in that one city for medical school for three years now, and you, maybe you want to change a pace. Just to try uh, it out, right? Yes. Yeah. Awesome, awesome. Cool. So this is a great time, I think, to just talk about, uh, we kind of touched about it touched on it a little bit in uh, the rest of the interview, but um, the general advice section. So in this section, we're just going to um, talk about advice you'd give to pre-med students all the way to um, fourth years um, that are in, you know, in the same shoes that you are in now. Um, so kind of with that, what advice would you give to a pre-med student or a gap year student looking to apply to medical school right now? So for the pre-meds, um, and gap years, the first thing I would say is uh, don't give up. You know, it's a really long road, and I know uh, you're probably going through some adversity if you, if you didn't get in for the first time or if you were just applying. You know, the whole process can seem very daunting. But I will just say that, you know, even though medicine is extremely difficult and the hours are really bad and there's a lot of stress to it, I still agree, think that it's the best job in the world. And if you can find a passion in medicine, whatever it is, it could be social justice, could be research, could be surgery, it could be anything. If you find that passion as a pre-med, don't ever lose that. And don't ever lose your sense of wonder, you know, this, your sense of curiosity also. I think besides that, I think the, the second thing I would say is just get organized, you know. Think about your application realistically. Be pragmatic about your GPA and your MCAT. Like if you don't have a good GPA or MCAT, you shouldn't apply to med school, you know. It's perfectly okay to do, like, a master's program or do, like, a post-bac to get your grades up. And it's okay to take the MCAT, again, until you can get a higher score. Um, so I would just be very – so firstly, I would just, you know, be uh, – you know, have the curiosity. Second, be pragmatic about your situation. And thirdly, you know, there's no harm in taking gap years. There's no harm in waiting until you have a good GPA, until you have a good MCAT to apply because then if you do have all those things and you have the life experience of taking gap years then you're going to be in a you're you're going to be very competitive and um, so for my then my advice for people in gap years is just hang in there you're almost done you know ass assuming you've taken the MCAT or you've you know finished college uh, you're almost there just you know continue to stay focused continue to get all your applications in time and i think more importantly just have fun you know your gap year is a time where you can do whatever you want. You, if you have a job, you're making some money. You can, you know, explore the world, explore a new city. So I think, you know, just always remember to have fun because you're gonna be in training for a long time, 
And I think your gap year is the one year beforehand that you can really just live a little bit. And I think, you know, my, my regret, if I had to tell you, is I didn't live enough during my gap year. And I wish I did more before I went into medical school, like just having fun. And I think, you know, th- yeah, that's pretty much my advice I would give. Yeah. Um, I'll just add that um, one thing I wish I had more of was uh, overall mentorship um, in undergrad. I think um, if you're considering medicine, I think the most imp- one of the most important things you can do is just talk to people in the field, uh, whether it's a physician. I would suggest a medical student um, just because that's like the next stage of the career um, if you're on that track. Um, and specifically talking to an upperclassman um, because they have a realistic sense of how things translate between your first couple years and then your clinical years. Um, So being able to talk to somebody, uh, it could be somebody in your family. I recommend somebody outside your family just because you want to eliminate all sorts of bias. Um, And I, I just think that's important because it gives you a realistic sense of what to expect. I think a lot of people come into medicine not knowing what to expect, um, despite all the reading that they may have done, all the research they may have done. Um, and I, I remember when I was applying for medical school, uh, I had multiple physicians tell me, just don't do it. Um, and these are physicians who were very successful. You know, They were mm-hmm. at major universities, and they were telling me, don't do medicine. Um, That's kind of daunting. It's daunting, and but it, it gives you uh, some perspective about like, you know, or at least like uh, it challenges like, you challenges to the like, question right, like right. why would they be saying that right 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 um, and otherwise like you wouldn't be thinking like oh what are the other sides of medicine that maybe I'm not thinking about like it's great you're saving lives and you're potentially making a change in a person's life and having that direct impact but there are so many other things to consider and if you're just looking for like a social change you could easily do that in another field without having like being a doctor is very stressful. And um, and that's real. Like all the papers on burnout, and you know, we just took an elective yeah. where we had so many thread discussion threads about physician burnout and student now coming to student burnout, mm-hmm. and you know that's a real problem. And uh, not a lot of yeah. people ha- are like exposed to that yet. Well, what was the elective? It's called narrative medicine. Huh. Um, it's basically looking at how physicians and students basically express themselves. Um, in given inpatient encounters or just experiences that they have in medicine overall. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the discussions we had were focused on burnout, which is, uh, like, I expect that from physicians because that's always been something that's been studied. Sure, but, sure. but coming to the student level, like, that's different, hmm. for me wow. at least. Uh, no, it's and really And so um, I think, you know, those, those are the types of things I think pretty much in gap year students should be considering is, you know, all these other sides to medicine. And then you get the real perspective. Okay, this is actually why I want to do medicine. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Um, so doing that, and of course, echoing what Drew said, you know, opening, having that sense of curiosity and um, getting exposure, whether it's in medicine, outside of medicine, whatever. And the, the key with gap student, gap year students, I will say is, should always be doing something. Um, and if you're not doing something, that's something you're going to have to explain on your application. Mm-hmm. So Cool. Um, so what advice would you give to a first-year medical student? Um, for a first year, I would say, you know, initially just try to learn uh, how the school works, how the logistics of school work, um, how, you know, make friends. I think that's another big thing, you know. Um, 
make friends, build a social network in school, build a uh, network of people that you hang out with. And I think once you've done that to some degree, um, for first year, I would just say, you know, focus on school, just focus on grades and focus on doing well in your preclinical classes. And then while also trying to enjoy life to some degree, because first year you have more time to do stuff like that. So that's actually kind of a challenging question because it depends on the institution that you're at. Sure, sure. Our particular school, you know, we have this uh, structure where first year is relatively um, more relaxing than second year, just the way courses are spread out and the number of courses that are given Mm -hmm. um, throughout that year. And also just the information content isn't as much as second year, where it's primarily step one material. Um, So, uh, yeah, so I think that that advice can only translate to a school that's set up like that. Um, For other, in general, I would say, and I hate this because... Um, it, it's again boiling down to step one, um, and I, I'm not a big fan of tests. But uh, it, you know, to do well on tests, you need to retain material, and the only way to do that is to get exposure early and see it on a regular basis throughout those first two years. <laughs> Study. And I think that, um, and this is one of those things. Like medical school is about studying and trying to do as best as you can, um, so that you can get the grades and open window or open doors for yourself. Um, uh, in the future. And so uh, if you can find a way to um, see that ma- see that material that you're learning in school and um, start applying those skills for step one early, the easier it's going to be later on. Um, and I, I hate saying that because it, it seems like your first two years are just going to be dedicated to this one test, and it is, but, um, you know, Part of medical entering medical school is also time management, um, and so you're not expected to be studying 24/7 like it sounds like I'm telling you to do. <laughs> um, you should definitely be taking time off, having like breaks throughout the week. You know, going out, enjoying whatever city or country life that you're a part of. Um, you know, whatever whatever you need to do to maintain some stability uh, and you know holisticness in mm-hmm. your life, but. Mm-hmm. That is, you have to keep that in the back of your mind. Like your ba- first and second year, you're studying for step one. Mm-hmm. So. And kind of going with that, um, would there be any different kinds of advice you would give to a second year medical student? Um, so for our school, second year is a little bit more challenging because of the amount of information that's kind of thrown at you in a one year. Um, there's There are schools that kind of broaden that out into the course of the two years. So I don't know how their system is structured, but it's, I mean, it's pretty much the same idea. Um, uh, I guess the added component of second year is that you have these extra assignments from your patient-centered courses and, um, and like, just balancing that out. So there's a lot more time management skills that are needed there, but um, it's essentially the same mm-hmm. because you're studying for step one. Mm-hmm. Um, what advice would you give to a third-year medical student going on rotations right now or entering rotations? So for third year, I think one of the, so there's a couple of things that are really important. Um, one thing is logistics and just figuring out where things are. You know, um, for third year, you're entering a hospital, you're entering a new hospital, you don't know where, you know, where to go, where the bathroom is, where the layout of the hospital is. So I just think to some degree getting, being on time, being organized, knowing the logistics of where you're supposed to go, what time you're supposed to be there, um, you know, how, like the logins and passwords for all the 
EMRs you use, all those things might seem inconsequential, but they're really important because you don't want to waste time when you're on your rotation just figuring those out. So I think that's like a really big thing that a lot of people don't think about, but I think just you know getting the logistics down is uh, the first thing. Um, and uh, sorry, I'm going to interject right there, but do you recommend then the third year if let's say they're doing like they're in like a different emr system that they're used to or whatever do they go like the weekend before to figure it out or is that something like the first day you just ask everybody and then hope you know you have have it set since then or is it do you figure it out while you're on your rotation so i think um i'll, I'll give an example so when i uh, rotated at heinz i never had used the um, the va yeah yeah Oh, sorry, yeah, the yeah, VA. Yeah. When I rotated at the VA, I had never used its um, EMR system before. And I think one thing that I'll say to kind of answer your question is, you know, the first couple days, no one expects you to get it right away. But what I would say is get as much help if you need it. You know, if you don't know where things are, ask. If you don't know how to, say, write a note in this specific software, ask. If you don't know how, you know, the workflow is organized, ask. And uh, I think asking for help if you, when you need it is 100% crucial. Did you ask the attendings or the residents or, like, the nurses or? Uh, mostly the residents, I okay. think. Okay. Yeah. yeah. The, usually the attending is more, the attending role is more for presentations and checking in with them about the plan. And occasionally they'll ask you questions. They'll have you present on um, articles and things like that. But your residents and uh, are the main resource um, when it comes to those small logistical things, or even the person setting up the the EMR for you, like they're they're probably a good resource because they do the trainings for yeah. that stuff. Uh-huh. I will say though, um, it could be institution dependent. So I um, did a family medicine rotation in in, in Indiana, and um, they didn't use uh, Epic; they used a different EMR, and um, uh, the only access I only had like view only access. Um, so just because they have a different EMR doesn't mean they expect you to be writing notes and things like that. But um, if you're at an institution that makes you write notes and you end up at a different site that doesn't, um, keep that in mind because uh, that could be a way for you to kind of help out with the residents. Um, maybe they'll have you kind of do something differently while they're writing the note or whatever. Just work that out with mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, kind of going off of third year and kind of transitioning to fourth year, um, what was your plan to tackle oh, step two? I was going to say one more thing. For oh, yeah, go for year. it. Go so um, a lot of third year is a br- it brings out a lot of insecurities yeah. in students, mm-hmm. uh, particularly because they're now thrown in this work environment that they're not used to. Um, you're like, I, I wish like every person was nice and like realized that you're just a student and you're not going to know everything you need to know. But there are going to be people out there who don't realize that as a student, you're not going to know everything. Um, So whether it's um, uh, an ancillary staff member or an attending or resident, you know, there are going to be times when um, they're probably going to rub you the wrong way or um, some situation is going to arise that makes you a little bit uncomfortable. And um, it's important to realize, you know, where the line is. Um, and realize like maybe it's just a stressful day day for them and you know it's not really you it's something else that's going on realize that you're just another cog in the machine of the workflow of the hospital like they are trying to take care of patients they are trying to take care of discharges and things like that so keeping that in mind like you want to be aware of what you're doing and if you're hindering a situation or whatever Mm -hmm. Um, 
And then, of course, there there is the other thing that every uh, orientation for a rotation will tell you. Like, if there are certain lines that are crossed, you should always voice those um, when they do come up. Mm-hmm. So, oh, sorry. Last thing, I just want to add to what you said. Um, build a th- building a thick skin is very important. You know, learning how to accept criticism when you in the third year is super important because you're constantly being evaluated, and you know sometimes you won't always do the best that you thought you did. Um, and then you'll get feedback, and um, you know building thick skin um, yeah. is very important. Always ask yeah. for feedback because yeah. you may think you're doing well, but you're not. But you're yeah. not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and it's the best way to know where you stand um, uh, in terms of where you're supposed to be with your training, mm-hmm. and or even sometimes it'll let you know where where you are in training, even though they tell you like, oh, you're on par with where you are for where, like for you're where level. you are right now. Mm-hmm. That really just means that could just mean like you're kind of just at the average point on your eval and you need to kind of up your game a little bit. So mm-hmm. you may be satisfied with knowing where you are right now, but the whole point of your eval is to show that you're going above and beyond. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that could be a sign for you to be like, okay, I actually need to take on more responsibility and I need to demonstrate my clinical knowledge in a different way, mm-hmm. et cetera. And so always ask for feedback. Cool. Um, so kind of last, last segment what advice would you give to the fourth-year medical students out there, kind of in your shoes now, too? Depending on your specialty, um, hopefully uh, your school kind of organizes by specialty. So for IM, uh, we have our physicians who basically email us regularly about when deadlines are, um, and they they set up meetings for us to go over, like, what to expect in an interview, um, what's the application process, and kind of elucidate some of the... uh, the, the daunting questions that we all have about ERAS. Um, so making sure to attend those meetings and following up with those physicians. Um, I, I found it particularly helpful to identify a one-point person within the department um, to kind of help me with my application so that I had another set of eyes um, in having that sort of mentorship of like, oh, these are the schools I should be considering um, or these are the ways I should be considering, things like that. So being having a point person or having a point person to kind of elucidate that within the department helps a lot. Yeah. 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 um, In terms of the rest of third year or or fourth year, um, my advisor told me to take up electives that would, you wouldn't necessarily do um, as an IM resident. So, uh, you know, like narrative medicine, that's not something everybody does. Um, and uh, or international electives in a completely different field. Mm-hmm. Some people mm-hmm. do like radiology. So just kind of branching yourself out there a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Cool. I want to second everything he said. And then the other thing I want to talk about is just being organized. So for your residency applications, there's a lot of documents that you have to submit. And um, for me, I just, you know, made like a spreadsheet on Excel that kind of planned out, you know, all the documents I had whether they were done or not. Um, the other thing I want to talk about is um, your personal statement. You know, always make sure that you have a lot of people looking at your personal statement, not just for grammar, but for, uh, for the theme, for the, the content. Um, and just kind of having like a point person, as Dippin mentioned, where you can kind of like just, you know, have an advisor who, sa- who you can go up to and say, okay, I'm doing this, this, and this. Is this a good idea? Um, having all those things and just being, you know, organized with all your documents, I think can really... Uh, pay dividends. The other thing I want to mention is um, when you um, 
for me at least, I set up a lot of meetings with a lot of people for letters of recommendation or for personal statement help. So just being like, you know, proactive and when it comes to meeting people early and getting on their schedule so you don't take up too much of their time is a really good idea also. Yeah, I would also add that um, uh, at least at our school, our deans set up a lot of meetings um, with the students to go over like the dean's letter, the application process, and um, like when to start asking for letters of rec and things like that. So it's important to follow up on those meetings because you, at least at our school, we had to meet with the deans and schedule that in advance. Um, so uh, be sure to, uh, um, figure out the schedule with your school um, so you can attend those meetings and make sure you're up to date on all the information that you need, uh, particularly if you're like doing a separate match system or you're going to some uh, other specialty. So. Mm -hmm. Great. Um, and lastly, what, you know, kind of summing everything up, what do you think is the best algorithm in choosing a specialty in medical school? Ooh, that's a tough question. I would think the best way to know, oh, actually, I actually do have an answer for that. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> He's thinking about it. Yeah. Um, one, one piece of advice that an attending gave me is, you know, not just if you have passion for that specialty, but if you get along with the people in that specialty, if you can see, because every, you know, we kind of mentioned this in the, earlier in the talk that every specialty has like a stereotype, but every specialty definitely has a personality. And I think if you can, meet a lot of the residents, a lot of the attendings, and you can kind of build a rapport with them um, to a deep level, and you can kind of get along with them, and you can kind of see them as your friends, not just your colleagues. I think that's a really good way to know that, you know, I belong here, because, you know, you're going to be spending the rest of your life doing this. So if you can't get along with your colleagues, it's definitely a red flag. So I think, you know, um, building, you know, building rapport with the people in that specialty and, and seeing if you can have the, the similar personality to them. If you can grab a beer with them, if you if they pass that if they pass that test, then you know that yeah. you can kind of do that specialty. Yeah, that's also kind of tough because we were talking about like if the work environment can kind of turn you off to a particular specialty. So if you find that's the case, try to branch out with other residents and attendings and see if um, if it is uh, a work environment type of thing or if the program is particularly challenging. Um, you know, be sure to ask those questions in the back of your mind. Um, when I was considering IM, I think one of the biggest questions that was posed to me was, uh, and especially as a person who likes everything that they see, um, is what can you live without? And that's important because, uh, you know, I like everything that I see, but uh, there are certain things that I, I'm okay with not seeing <laughs> again, right? Like I don't, I don't need to see more OB patients. Like, uh, and um, I, I'll say like I had a friend who wanted to do, he was kind of all over the place. He went into IM uh, rotation and was definitely like, oh, this is something I'll consider. And then um, he realized like he likes everything. So he was thinking emergency medicine. And then at the very last minute, he was like, you know what? Uh, and it, we all thought he was going to surgery for sure. Mm -hmm. um, but at the very last minute, he was like, you know what? Um, uh, EM is great. Like, I would see a lot of different things, and I would see the different patients that I want to see, but I can't give up the OR. Like, that's just something I can't mm. do. And mm. so he ended up deciding to do OB because of that. Mm. Um, so mm. I, think, I think that's a very important question, particularly if you're the type of person who tends to pick up on to everything. Like everything. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, great. I think this was a fantastic interview. Um, thank you so much for coming on our show. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. 
Thanks for listening to this episode. This wouldn't be possible without the support from our listeners. Please rate, review, and subscribe. We appreciate donations to help fund the production of this podcast. To support us, go to medicuspodcast.com, where you can additionally find show notes, links, and information about our guests. We are at Medicus Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. If you have any questions, comments, or episode suggestions, submit them on our website. This podcast is intended for general information purposes only and does not constitute the practice of medicine. No patient-doctor relationship is formed, and the content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment.